Hello and welcome to the Wholehearted Healer Podcast. My name is Dr. Avine Banish and I will be your host. This is the weekly podcast that helps women pause in their busy lives, drop into the heart, and remember their next right step. I am so happy that you're here. Well, hello there, friend, and welcome to the third season of The Wholehearted Healer. I can't believe we're already starting the third season. Um, I can kind of because all summer I have been having so much fun recording episodes with just amazing humans from around the world. Um, And I'm really excited to begin this season with a friend of mine, Anne Cross. Anne is in my mind, when I think about teacher, especially elementary school teacher, I think of Ann Cross. And I think when you listen to our conversation, you'll understand why she is so dedicated, um, has been doing this work for so long, and just really loves the children she um, supports in her day-to-day life as a teacher, her staff, her community. Um, and what a perfect time to talk to a teacher as we are heading back to school. So Join me on this third season. There are lots of great guests coming up. Um, I would love to hear from you if you're particularly inspired by any conversation um, or if you have any great suggestions for me of people to interview. I'm always looking for inspiration um, and it can come from anywhere I find. So welcome to the Wholehearted Healer. Here we go. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of The Wholehearted Healer. I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm your host, Dr. Avine Banish, and I'm really excited today to talk to my friend, Anne Cross. Anne is a second grade teacher in Colorado Springs, um, who I met, geez, I don't know, a couple of years ago now. We are in a um, an organization, a charity organization together, and I just found Anne to be a breath of fresh air, um, someone who um, I see active in the community I live in, who is... Um, not only teaching with an open heart, but just doing so much in the community. Um, and so, Anne, welcome and thank you. Thanks for having me. I am honored and humbled to to be here and to be part of of your podcast, which I am a faithful listener of. So, oh, um, it's very surreal to me. But yes, this is right. <laughs> so um, and. Um, Many people come on here and they don't, you know, they don't maybe, um, some people have an agenda, some people have it, you know, their story down pat. And for you and I, the way I pitched this to you is just that I'm a fan of yours and I just kind of wanted to hear your story. And um, I know that you have nuggets of wisdom for people um, in the world, whether you, that's like on top of mind right now or not. So let's just begin by sharing a little bit about your background, like where you grew up and what drew you to teaching. I actually grew up exactly two and a half blocks from uh, my home that I currently own with my family now. And I actually went to the school that I teach at. So I have lived in this little community of ours since the day I was born. And my parents still, my dad still lives in the house that I was born and raised in. And it is at times a daunting mountain to climb to kind of 
live with such a rich history, both with my family and with my career. And sometimes it is um, what keeps me grounded and sane and moving forward in, in ways that I probably don't even realize I need. Um, so I, I teach with a lot of people that I went to school with and I teach kids of, of classmates that I had growing up. And, um, it's, it really is the history in this, in this little area that I live in is, is kind of, I think an anomaly for the world as a whole. Um, and it was never my plan. I never planned on living where I live and teaching where I teach. It was never part of my grand plan. Um, my dad was a teacher for almost 40 years and I grew up seeing, seeing the impact he made on our world. And, um, when I say our world, it was the world that I have maintained throughout my lifetime. And I knew I wanted to teach in third grade and everyone says that'll never stick. And it's, and so I, um, it, it was one of those kind of life mantras that I, I just knew that that's something that I, I don't know if I was drawn to do it, but it's something that I've always wanted to do. And so finding myself back in my, my alma mater elementary school was not part of that plan, but it worked out um, for the best for both me and my family. I love that. I mean, yeah, I I think especially, um, and it may be different for you because you know so many people, but when I moved here almost six years ago, um, I was struck. I, I got into this habit asking each of my patients like where they were from because like being a native of Colorado Springs is somewhat rare. There's so many transplants to this area. It's definitely grown probably more than I am comfortable with it growing. I have my little bubble of, of Colorado Springs that I try to stay in, but mm-hmm. um, it really is. It really is a blessing in, in most ways that the, it's all come full circle for me. Well, I know it's a blessing for the students and the school you teach in. Um, can you talk about, you know, it, I also think it's a gift to know what you want to do when you're in third grade. I mean, and to stick with that. <laughs> um, I think a lot of, you know, I have college age kids and their friends and um, knowing your vocation or your purpose is a gift. That kind of clarity. It's true. It really is. And I mean, looking back, I, I think there's probably some things I would maybe do a little bit differently. Um, I am kind of intrigued by older kids now that I've taught young ones for so long, like by older, I mean like high school and college age. So that's still maybe something that I pursue um, after I, after I'm done in elementary, but um, elementary was where, and I, I really wanted to teach kindergarten for the longest time until I was actually in a kindergarten room. And then that quickly changed to no, thank you. Um, I love them. I love watching them. I love talking to them, but I could not teach them. So, you know, you, you kind of find your, your changes or your ways as you, as you move through it too. Um, and I wonder, so you teach, are you teaching second grade now? I teach second grade and I've always taught second grade and that was never my plan either. Um, I taught in an, in another school in a different district for a year in a position that I knew was not coming back. It was I'm a maternity leave for a friend of mine. And uh, the second grade job that I currently have opened up the year that I was doing that that um, kind of interim job. And I applied for it and I got it and I never really thought I would get it. I thought it's too, it's it's too perfect <laughs> to go right back to where I was. Um and it worked and I've stayed in second grade, uh, it's greatest age. Um, I've found out through the years 
And now I'm tied to both that age and I'm tied to a teammate that I I feel so blessed to have crossed paths. And she's been my teammate for 18 years and she gets me and she knows my strengths and my weaknesses and I get her and I know. And so we have this great working relationship that I, I'm, I would be scared to leave because it's taken a long time to get there. And it's, it's been so beneficial professionally to have that, to have not just the friendship, but the collegiality and absolutely you know, the knowledge base of each other. So, yeah. uh, so now I'm tied to a grade level and to a teammate. <laughs> <laughs> you are so rooted. Um, can you talk a little bit? Cause I agree that, um, so second graders are my dad, um, was a family physician. And I remember when I had kids, he talked about the golden age of a child of the child being like under 10 years old, where they were just so full of wonder and they loved adults. They loved hanging out. They weren't too cool yet. And I think that is like the pocket of second graders. Um, So can you talk a little bit about, you know, on this podcast, we talk about living open-hearted or wholeheartedly how your kids in your class maybe assist or help you remember to do that? That's, that's a great thought. Um, I, I feel like kindergartners walk in and they are kind of dumbstruck by the whole thing. They're at school probably for the first time all day. They don't really kind of know which planet they're on. Mm-hmm. So they spend their, their first year in school just kind of learning how to be in school. And then first grade, things change a little bit with scheduling and that sort of thing. And I feel like by the time they hit second grade, they're kind of in the, the routine and they're in the groove. And it really is a, a year that um, they find their voice and they they are so filled with wonderment about um, pretty much everything. And sometimes they're brutally honest. Uh, you, you know, you know, if you're wearing a sweater that they do not like, they will they are not scared to to tell you. So that it definitely keeps me humble. Um and humility is is something that I think is so important. And I've grown over probably the past 10 to 12 years to just realizing the importance of, of not thinking that I could not learn from a seven-year-old. And I do every day, um, whether, it's, whether it's lessons about learning or whether it's lessons about things that they see in the world, um, or it's just the way that they ask questions and help each other and those kinds of things that I think we as adults are, you know, we're, we're smarter than they are. We we're more educated than they are, but there's so much raw kind of talent that, that they bring to the table that I end up probably learning far more from them than they learn from me over the course of the course of the year. And academically, that's obviously not the case, or at least hopefully it's not the case. Um, but I mean, I think just in terms of those being compassionate and being genuine and being humble and um, being kind and seeing the world with fresh eyes, those kinds of things I learn from them all the time. And if if you forget it, they will be the first the first little group of people in my world that will drag me back into it because that's where they live. They don't they don't think about the past that much. Uh, you know, if there's trauma involved in those kinds of things, sometimes they do, but, and they're not too worried about the future. They, you know, they, they are really living in the present and it is kind of a ride or die situation with them and they will keep you in it. And if you're focusing too much on something that they're not comfortable with, they will, they will make sure that I'm reminded very quickly and, um, and sometimes not so kindly to <laughs> on that journey. So um, it's, it's definitely something that, I, I see more as a gift as I get older too. 
Um, I think, you know, any, any, I started teaching when I was 23 and part of me thinks I wasn't much older than they are, which I really wasn't. Um, but you know, you, you don't see the world the same way at 23 that you do. Right. So it's, and I'm curious what they just observing them for that long, what do they teach you about friendship, about making friendship? Cause I think a lot about, um, I mean, I think a lot when I think of the differences between even say my, you know, I have four kids when, when my youngest was seven years old, my oldest was 16. And there's such a shift that happens in, um, even how kids relate to one another, approach friendships, approach relationships. But I feel like at seven, everything's still kind of wide open. Can you, do you have any lessons that you gleaned from just how they interact with each other, how they make a new best friend every three days. <laughs> it's, it's all, all the drama around friendship is, I mean, we call it drama and there is some drama involved, especially with, with girls more than boys. Um, by and large, that's, it's kind of a, a broad stereotype, but, um, it's the truth more or less. Um, the beginning part of second grade, they are so forgiving. I guess that's, I guess that's the lesson in it. They are so forgiving they, they don't hold grudges. They don't think twice about something happened on the playground and they're over it 20 minutes after recess is over. Um, as even the year in second grade progresses, that changes. Like, so this is sort of the, like the, the year where that forgiveness and that ability to move past things sort of shifts. And, um, I, there's not any magic, there's not any magic thing to it, but I think it's that living in the present piece. Again, they don't, they don't want to put their energy towards focusing on something that happened four hours ago or four days ago. They just kind of move past it. Um, and, but I also think, like I said earlier, this is the, the first time that they've sort of been, felt free to kind of negotiate that or navigate that, that thing, you know, that, that part of their worlds by themselves. And so there is a lot of, well, you're my best friend today and tomorrow, He's going to be my best friend because he's playing soccer and I like soccer. There's no, there's nothing more, more in depth about it than those, those kinds of things. But I think really great friendships come from that, that flux. And my two best friends to this day, I met in kindergarten at the very school that I teach at. And, um, you know, we went through a lot together and we ebbed and flowed out of that that friendship that we, the, the three of us have together, but we always came back. And I, that's, that's what I see is they'll, they'll kind of ebb away from things or ebb away from, from things they like to do and then ebb back towards it. And they do end up finding really great friendships. If, yeah. especially if they're there for a number of years. I went through the same, um, parochial school K through eight and I tran- I transferred my family moved um, in second grade. And I met my, one of my lifelong best friends in second grade. Um, and it's funny cause I don't even remember what, what we were doing, you know, what hobby we were doing mutually or how we just decided we were going to be best friends, but we did. And it stuck. And it's, it's pretty much. Those are beautiful friendships. Yeah. And it's fun to see those friendships grow throughout their time, not just in second grade, but through their time, um, at this, you know, at the same school or working, Hopefully they're in the same grade level, you know, they're in the same class. Cause we have, we have two rounds. So sometimes they're not in the same class, um, but they find each other 
at those free times too. So it's fun to see those kind of ebb and flow and then really come back to being sustaining and, and meaningful. Love that. Yeah. And what, um, I mean, you've also worked with many parents over the years, if you've been teaching for that long. Um, and I'm sure that your journey has shifted as you've gotten more seasoned and life has happened and changed over the years. But um, do you have any wisdom to share? This is going to air kind of at the beginning of the school year. Um, okay. So do you have any wisdom to share to parents? And I'm sure there are parents listening. Some have grade school kids, some have older kids. Um, anything that you would like to mention to them or to suggest? I think I think the biggest change that I have seen in in my in my career, and I think my dad would agree, um, and he taught for years before I did. Um, we did have a little bit of crossover, but um, I I am a big believer in the fact that we are a team. Um, parents and teachers and the child it's it's a tripod it's it's the stool and i can i can care about your kid and i can care about their learning but i can't care for them enough to counterbalance the lack of one of those three things being in place so i, I like when i say i don't care enough that sounds horrible um but i can't i can't make up for the lack right. of engagement or the lack of um involvement on both of the other sides so that's um that's something that i would i would recommend wholeheartedly to to anybody i whatever grade level um is just remember that i am i am there 100% to make sure that your child is successful and that their child will learn and grow at both both academically and physically and psychologically that is that is my whole role is keeping them safe and learning and moving forward and what parent doesn't want that for their kid so if if we're a partnership and they're communicating well with me and I'm communicating well with them and we pull the kid in and we all have conversations as we need to that partnership only benefits the kid mm-hmm. um, and i think it's so important for parents to not just assume that there's ill intention or there's there's something going on at school that my kid's being bullied we hear that all the time Okay, bullying is intentional, it's purposeful, it's sustained. And so a lot of time, like your kid didn't get along on the playground. It's not a bullying situation. Certainly there are times that it is. Yeah. Come in and just have the conversation with us about like, what are we seeing? What's going on at home? Little home changes change kids in a huge way. Um, And so just communicating with us about, um, especially at the lower grades, about things that are happening um, with them emotionally or psychologically, because while school is really a safe place and kids walk in knowing that we're going to do math first and we're going to go recess and then lunch. And they, I mean, they know that those things are in place all day. So we don't sometimes don't see, um, you know, you know, parents will come in and say, this is going to be a really bad day. And by the time they've walked out the door, the kid's fine because they know exactly what's going to happen. So it's the routine and the the standardization of the day for them that keeps them in check. But if we know that there's something going on or, you know, grandma's in the hospital or dog died or brother and sister are going away to college, I mean, whatever it is, those kinds of things do play emotionally on kids and we deal with them differently. Not that we give them preferential treatment or that we, um, you know, are looking 
are looking for ways to help them or to accommodate them. But if something changes throughout the day, we know that we can be ready to, to help support that in whatever way it is. So just that partnership is so important Mm -hmm. and some parents do it beautifully. And some parents, I think, feel like it's like they're at school from eight to three and it's my responsibility and they don't need to be a part of it, nor do they need to care what's going on there. And the kids know that the kids know that we're not, you know, I I'm, I'm in the left side and they're in the right side and we're not talking the kids in the middle and they're the pivot point. So it becomes a really sad situation for some kids kind of having to play the two sides, even though all we want to do as teachers is make sure that the success is there and whatever that looks like academic, psychologically, I mean, we'll support the heck out of a kid if we just know what's, what's to support. Um, so the yeah. academic piece seems to be the easiest part of that these days. Yeah. Honestly. So I think that's really beautiful advice. And, um, and yeah, and, and, um, a beautiful commitment to, um, to start a school year. I mean, it is a relationship and I'm, um, I'm working in town with the mindfulness and positivity project. So I've been, um, honored to kind of meet with a lot of different teachers, a lot of different schools. And I, um, I'm always struck by how much, uh, teachers hold, you know, um, because it is a lot, I mean, um, school years long and, uh, and I don't feel maybe that, you know, not just from parents, I'm, I'm sure that you are wonderfully supported by most parents, but just in general, it's a hard job. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so, and you also strike me as someone who, and I'm sure this is something you've learned and failed at and um, figured out over time, like how to, what you need to do to recharge, what you need to do to find joy what you need to do to sustain yourself, like say through May in a certain year. <laughs> um, can you give any advice to people who may be teachers, who may not be, who are in a, you know, a hard job and maybe they're feeling burned out. You've been doing your job a long time yeah. and you're still doing it with enthusiasm. And so I think that's really impressive. Um, can you speak to that, to burnout, to how to, um, to how to, sustain and nourish yourself? I think that's a, it's a, it's certainly probably the area that I need the most, um, the most help in a lot of times. I think it's really, um, hard to remember that, um, you know, you come home and you're just exhausted and, um, it's, it, it's those days where, you know, you've got kids that, are struggling with whatever. And those, those things sit really, really hard on a teacher's heart. And some years are much harder than others. It just depends on the year and the kids. Um, I will tell you that the mindfulness and positivity project has changed, um, my teaching more in the past two years than probably anything else has in my career. Um, we had Jeff Kineski and Meg Frederick both come into our school um, at different times and, and work with a group of teachers, just being mindful and how to, how to do that with kids. And it really has made a huge difference in my class. And I can, I can talk about that later. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, there, there was a time in 2020, my mom passed away in 2020 and I was 
flailing. And there's no easier way to say it. I was flailing for the first time. I really understood what it felt like to not be mentally healthy. And I feel like my mental health ebbs and flows for the most part, but for the most part, I'm pretty mentally healthful and healthy. And that, that death and that grief took me, took me completely out. And I sort of created a situation for myself, which I didn't even realize until I heard you speak to our philanthropic group that it was mindfulness and it was heart coherence and all of that stuff really did kind of change my life. And I remember sitting on the edge of my bathtub every morning for the first probably two months of school, walking myself through the school day so that I wouldn't be emotionally taken down. And um, I am a crier by trade. I cry at least once a day during this podcast is still a 50, 50 shot. You never know. <laughs> um, and I just knew that I couldn't, I couldn't be that, that tearful at school over somebody saying like, how's your day going? And it would just, it would level me. So I really did kind of create this time in my morning without knowing anything about mindfulness, um, where I would sit usually in the bathtub on the edge of my bathtub and just walk myself through the day. It's, you know, I have a tough parent meeting. I have the staff meeting that I need to have such, such and such prepared for, um, those kinds of things. And I found that I was bolstering that pool of emotional energy that I had, that I felt was so depleted. Um, and I was able to, to kind of give myself a boost when I needed it with the stuff that was blindsiding to me. And I, I think that was such an important part of growing, not just as a person, but as a teacher, um, because I realized how depleted I was. Um, and then I saw you speak about a year later. And I remember sitting in the back of the church that we were, that we were in, that's where our meeting was. And we were all cohorted out by six chairs. And so I was totally spread out and my daughter was sitting next to me and you started talking about heart coherence, which I had never heard of. And I remember just sobbing. I sobbed through the whole thing. And my daughter, who's really sick of me crying over everything, <laughs> looking at me like, are you serious right now? And I came home and I think I spent the next eight hours on the computer looking up heart coherence, which led to mindfulness, which led to um, really just being grateful. And the gratitude piece of that is seemingly easy and seemingly so hard when, when it comes to really looking at those things. So long story short, I think it's so important to just take time at the end of every day and be grateful and get yourself centered again. And that heart coherence piece is so huge. Um, I think I've listened to that podcast 25 times and at least in pieces, just to make sure that I'm, I'm staying in it. Um, but the, the practice of being mindful and the practice of being, um, willing to acknowledge what went well and what didn't is so important to, to kind of keeping, keeping your head above water on days, especially where you just feel like you're drowning. Mm -hmm. So over the long haul, that becomes more and more important is just carving out. if it's five minutes in your classroom or if it's 10 minutes when you get home at night or, um, if it's just when you lay down in bed to think about what went well, what didn't go well, what am I going to do differently? And how am I going to, to kind of use those tools and tricks to continue to move forward is it's very important and probably more important than any educator realizes. So I don't yes. know. That's, 
I, mean, I don't know if I really answered that question or not. Oh, you answered it so beautifully. And I also would just like to point out, I mean, I feel like teachers, you and so many amazing teachers I know, like your emotional IQ is off the charts. I think that's actually one of the um one of the super powers of teachers. But I think it's interesting to note that um that you know, when you were at your lowest, you had an innate wisdom, like our heart and our body knows how to find harmony again. So that image of you sitting on the tub and just like walking through your day, visually rehearsing, which is what, you know, we live in Colorado Springs where tons of Olympic athletes are training. They're doing that before races. There's so much wisdom in that. And that, um, you know, when I talk about heart coherence or it's, it's really, um, it's a stepwise thing. And if you're feeling so low there, you know, certain days you rehearsing, getting through your day is where you can get to, you know, if, if you can't reach contentment and bliss when you're in grief and burned out. So I think that's just a really beautiful example that it's, that these are all practices and that they are, you know, they're like baby steps. And I'm sure there were days back then where it was like one step forward, three steps back. Like it's not linear and we don't have to be perfect about it. Um, but it's so important to attend to us, you know, like in addition to you being a phenomenal teacher and a mother and a wife and a friend and a valuable member of the community. Like if you're not, if you're, I always talk about like my, um, totally dried out houseplant phase where like, you know, I would like know that I was totally burned out. And then, you know, how you dump water in a dead house plant and be like, maybe this will <laughs> the water just pours through to the floor. And so those baby steps, those like real time, what can I do today? What can I do in this moment before a really tough meeting or after a really challenging interaction with a student or a parent? Sometimes that's all we can do. And sometimes that's enough. It's certainly, it, it, I mean, and I still do it now. I mean, I still, like it, it hasn't gone away. It's one of the things that I, I feel like I need to do to practice um, I mean, Megan, Megan, Jeff with the mindfulness and positivity project, talk about it being a practice. And I, I am, I'm in it. And then I, you know, we go on vacation or I have a rough day at work and I, I I'm home late and I'm just tired and I just go to bed and like getting out of it one day causes me to, to lose the momentum. And so it really is something that I'm, I'm going to force myself to be better at. And I, I've, this summer I'm going to do heart coherence in the morning. I always do it at night, but that's like my goal this summer is to do it in the morning just to get my day. So as I'm debriefing my day to throw heart coherence into that and just set myself up for even more success, um, down the line, but being being great, grateful and having gratitude. Um, my dad is probably the most grateful person I know. And so I grew up with it and it was like, it was in my face all the time. And it was one of those, like, well, how dumb was I to not think that that was something that I should have learned at a much earlier age when I figured that out two years ago and attaching it to my, to my practices that, that, and it's so important to just realize, like, I have running water. I have two dogs who will gladly sit at my feet all day long and thump their tail. And they're so happy to see me. That's joy. Like their life is joyous. And um, second graders live in a lot of joy. So I, I, I have it coming at me from all angles and it took me a long time to figure out that that was something I need to focus in on. Um, but it's, it's a really important piece of, 
of recharging too. It's just those little things throughout the day that, that get, that get, um, I think, I think that we lose the opportunity or the ability to see them sometimes. Absolutely. And if you, if you take the time to, to debrief and to process through all of a sudden it, it looks so much better. Life looks so much better than sometimes you like when you're in the minute, it's hard to see what, it, what there is to be grateful about. So, and in my life, I, you know, the more we focus on that or whatever we focus on grows. And so if we, um, you know, even on our worst days, if we can find things to be grateful for, like running water or, you know, dogs with who totally live in the present moment, who, you know, I leave the room and I come back and my dog Ruby's like, you're back. <laughs> um, then it, it's like, um, our vision expands and we see more, we see more of the blessings and, and we, um, it is, I, I really think it's as if we start to shift the world that we get to see. Um, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. There was, there was a practice that actually a principal I had a few years ago taught us as a, as a staff, and it's based on the premise of Ubuntu, which is, I think a Zulu word, it's some African word. And it, it basically, I think it literally means common humanity or the oneness of each other. And it kind of figuratively means I am because you are. And so if, if you think about that from anybody's perspective, like I am a teacher because you are a student or I am, I am on this podcast because you had the, the grace and the generosity to invite me. We, we, are, we are fulfilling parts of each other's lives in different ways um, just by being present and by being aware of each other. And I think, I think that's something that we as a population of humans have completely lost in some ways. We're not considerate of each other. We're not always caring about each other. And I think keeping those kinds of concepts present and foremost is something that we really do need to to be more aware of and be more conscious of our role in in other people's beings and other people's existences. And it's it's a pretty powerful concept when you think about the broadness of it. Mm -hmm. you know, common humanity, like, holy cow, I'm just one little person. But I think if you break it down to your house or to your school or to the grocery store, it all of a sudden becomes a little bit easier to, to bite off and, and chew it as being a pretty powerful way to live your life. And that's something that I need to be better at practicing when I'm out in the world a little bit better. Um, but I, I think that it it's, there's a beautiful opportunity in that word. Yeah. Uh, so and, and that's something that I, I try to, I try to teach my kids ways to be, um, like think about common humanity, even in a classroom and how can we all support each other in learning and friendship and kindness and compassion, um, and seven-year-olds can learn it. So I know that 37-year-olds can learn it and right. 16-year-olds can learn it. Like, um, but I think it's a beautiful way to, to see the, to see the world. I agree. Anne. And I think, you know, what's, I mean, it's, it's amazing if two people are consciously practicing, practicing that, but it's enough for one person to consciously practice that because you going out with that thought in the world shifts 
shifts your presence enough to impact the presence of others, whether or not in the moment they're thinking I am because you are. So it's, um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And so that's, I think that's a really beautiful, powerful thought. And I think I could talk to you all day, but I think we're going to land, we're going to land the plane. Um, and I want to say, thank you. You're so humble, but, um, I see you and I see, uh, how lucky second graders and their families are to have you as their teacher for your coworkers to have you in that school, um, for the work that you do for, um, for families and people less fortunate behind the scenes. I'm just so grateful. Um, you're really inspirational to me and, um, and I want you to, this is going to air in the fall, but you have all summer to restore and nourish and have fun. I also love your joy around live music. And I hope that you get to see lots of concerts. So much joy around live music. It makes me so happy. <laughs> um, and so just thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.